you would, turn the Bible to Revelation chapter 1. It's been a long walk. There are 66 books in our Bible. And through this cool Sunday evening series, we have covered what is the good news, the message of God through his salvation, through Jesus, uh, through each of these books. It's been a great study. There have been many and many a Sunday nights where we've been here and found ourselves going, wow, that was really, really good. Not only have we seen that each of those books are encouraging and good for us, and it's been good to be having Sunday night church, but we've also seen that our church has a lot of good preachers in it, a lot of people in our church that uh, want to preach the word and, and will and don't necessarily feel called to be a pastor, um, but want to preach and teach the word of God, and they do a good job with that, and um, we have found ourselves greatly encouraged um, th- through this whole study. But now we're at the end of the year, we're at the end of 2023, and we're also at the last book, The Revelation to John. Now, we're going to cover all of Revelation here in just a few minutes, but I want to remind you that our church took a really long time and preached through the whole book, and you probably remember that. We just finished it earlier this year. Um, I I think it took us a little bit over a year we went through the whole book of Revelation, every verse, every page, every chapter, uh, studied every bit of it. And that was a long study for our church. If you uh, have a lot of questions and you um, are just curious about so much of Revelation, which it is a hot topic, I know that, um, I would encourage you to go back online and you can listen to all of those. You can pick up your Bible, you can read Revelation, you can study each page, and then ask questions tonight. Basically, a 30-minute message on a Sunday evening through 22 chapters of the book of Revelation almost sounds like it would cause more confusion than it would cause uh, clarity. But uh, we trust the Lord and we're looking forward to doing this. This morning we watched a IMB Lottie Moon missions video, and it was good, and we've been watching those now for for every Sunday in December, and we'll continue with that. And right before we got into December and started watching watching those missions videos, uh, we were watching the shoebox videos, right? You remember those? And both both of the videos that we watch have been really good to give us perspectives Uh, that missionaries are experiencing, people who are serving the Lord, serving in a missions, cross-cultural capacity, and and seeing God work. Now, all those videos aren't the same, but one of the things that encourages me so much by those is we see people in different times, in different places, in different works, who are finding that the Word of God is working that the word of God is alive, that the word of God is a, is a difference maker. The word of God is what is empowering them and it is sustaining them. They are looking to it and leaning on it. And it's also the very thing that they're proclaiming, they're telling, they're teaching. And it's also the very thing that they're seeing working in people's lives to change them and draw people to Christ, the thing that God is using to open up eyes and ears and for the light bulb to come on and that God is drawing people to himself. And so we're watching videos from the Middle East and from Africa and Asia and South America, we're watching videos from here inside the United States. And all of these different workers are, say, are in one way or another emphasizing that the word of God is key in this work. Tonight, I want to emphasize to you all, that's absolutely the case. And that's the case here in our church. The word of God is alive and it's what God uses. And the book of Revelation specifically Maybe the best book in the whole Bible to show us that. 
that it is a book written by God through a man, and it was given to the church to empower us, inspire us, strengthen us. Revelation is the awesome ending to the long word of God. It's good. Tonight, what I want to do, instead of trying to do a summary, because I would not do a great job at that, I want to give you four big themes, okay? Four big themes, almost like four giant bullet points uh, that would help you. I'm just going to use a passage for each of those that you can remember, uh, almost like, I don't want to say these are the four most important chapters in Revelation, but something kind of like that, four themes. Revelation, that is so important for us to remember, okay? Okay. Many people quote it wrong and they call the book Revelations and they have an S on it. It's not that. It is one revelation. And a revelation is God revealing himself, a message, a truth, and and giving it to somebody for them to know. It is really good for you to be reminded tonight that's what this book is. John, the Apostle John, in exile on the island of Patmos, was there suffering to die, left to die, in prison, whatever it was, and God gives him this single vision, this revelation, this message, and it is to be passed on to the church. That little framework alone, if you will remember that, will shape a whole lot. It will shape a whole lot. Revelation gets a lot of negativity. People are confused on it. There is no book in the Bible, not even close, that has as much wrong and unhelpful teaching as the book of Revelation. Christians all over the place are misguided and misled and confused about what this means and about what that means. Big time um, misguided and confused about end time stuff because of people's teaching on the book of Revelation. And these themes that we're gonna, I'm going to remind you of tonight will help you bring it in and say, no, I do like this book. I do like this book. The first one, Revelation. Let's read chapter 1, okay? This is Revelation. This is a message from God to us. Starting in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Y'all, Revelation 1-1-A is so helpful, isn't it? This is a message from God that he gave to Jesus, that he gave to his servants, so that you and I would know what must soon take place. Let's keep going. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This book is to be encouraging to us. It's to be informative and helpful because God is bringing clarity and faith to his people as they read and hear this book. It's a revelation from God to us. When I say us, I mean to any who would believe. Not only is it a revelation, but it's revelation written to us in a letter. That's important for you to understand. It's a letter. Everybody knows that Revelation is apocalyptic literature, and that's where it gets a little bit confusing, but it is a letter. Look what it says here in verse 4. Let's keep reading. 
John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will well on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. It's a letter, and it's a letter that God has sent to us with great, great meaning and depth. Verse nine, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that I that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Now, some of you all may remember that from when we've preached through Revelation or maybe when you've read it before. This is an incredible, majestic scene of Jesus uh, uh, revealing himself to John. That alone grabs your attention. That alone is not so confusing. John is getting a revelation from God and he's to pass it on to the churches. That's what's going on here. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Chapter one of Revelation begins reminding us this is a revelation. That's the first theme I want you to remember. This is God giving helpful information to his people. It is to strengthen us and it is to encourage us. At this point, there's not anything confusing there's some language there that you need to think a little bit harder about. But verse 20 brings great, great, great understanding to all of the, the lampstand stuff. And so, and I remember teaching this way back when we began. So here's what you have. Here's what you have at the end of chapter one. You've got Jesus in all his power, in all his glory, and in all his strength, standing in the middle of the churches. This is a revelation, a letter a letter from God through Jesus to John, through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, to John to be given to the churches. And they get a picture 
of Christ in all of his divine strength standing in the middle of the churches. Now we know the context, and we've talked about that a lot. There's suffering, there's persecution, there's big-time opposition, times are scary, we're in the end times. Jesus said that in the Gospels. They were in the end times there, we're in the end times now, right? It's all of that. And imagine getting this letter from the Apostle John, who might be the most admired of all the apostles, showing a picture of the conquering, powerful, almighty Jesus standing in the middle of the churches. This letter, this book of Revelation, is a revelation for us. May you not be in the dark. May you not be uh, begging for information that you think you don't have. May you be in the know. May you say, he has told us. May you say, I believe him who has communicated himself and his truth to us. God has revealed a whole lot. And Revelation reminds us of that. That's our first theme. The second one is, this book of Revelation is perspective giving. It gives great perspective. Turn to chapters four and five. Chapters four and five give us this big, big scene. This scene of the throne being in the center of all creation, all the universe, all the world, all the heavens, all of everything, everything that's been made, and the throne is right there in the middle. Chapters four and five go together. They're one big scene. And with chapter four and five going together, it gives us this big, big, big perspective. When I say big perspective, I mean it is to remind us, and it does, these, these two chapters, these two chapters remind us that there is something big going on in the world. There's something big, there's, there's meaning to all of this. And, and that's one of the things that the world does a pretty good job of recognizing, right? No matter who you are or where you're at, you say things like, well, there's got to be a reason, right? Or I don't really know why, but I'm trying to find it out. I'm trying to find my place in this world. I'm trying to find my purpose in this, right? And, and even unbelievers get that. Well, this scene not only pushes us to think that way, but it shows us the very purpose and meaning of it all is Jesus on the throne in the middle, but these chapters bring that perspective about. It's fair for us to recognize there is something big going on in the world. There is something big going on in the universe. There is something happening by God's plan inside of me and inside of you. There is something going on in the world. God is bringing about his glory in the earth. God is working everywhere. Chapters 4 and 5 show us this. Chapters 4 and 5 are a picture of the throne, and let's read a little bit of that. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice, first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, look at this, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And then he goes on to describe the one seat on the throne. It's powerful and majestic and beautiful and dynamic. Jump down to verse six. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, 
holy, holy, holy. We've been taught before in the Bible that that is the highest of statements. To repeat it three times means to emphasize it in the fullest emphasis. To repeat it three times means to mean it in the truest sense. And here we have a divine scene of the throne in the middle of all creation. And the heavens are singing that thing. The biggest perspective of all creation is creation crying out, holy, 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 to the one that sits on the throne. That's the perspective you and I must never forget. We must never, ever, ever in our lives lose sight of God being on the throne and all that he has made pointing to the fact that he is a holy God. He is altogether good, true, perfect, sinless. He's our maker, and everything he made is to give him glory. They are emphasizing this here. Verse 8 says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Chapter 4 shows us perspective in heaven of the one who sits on the throne being worshipped for his power and his creation in what he's doing. We must never lose that perspective. But then this scene quickly advances and moves on into chapter 5 where it gets a little bit more detailed. It's still chapters 4 and 5 that are showing us this big perspective, this big picture. But chapter 5 gives us a little bit more detail. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne... And they're crying out in verse two, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy. Verse five says, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered. And you and I know at that point that it's talking about Jesus it goes even to more detail. Jump down to verse six. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. I hope you've heard before. If not, let me remind you again. In back-to-back -back verses there, we have Jesus called the lion and Jesus called the lamb. That perspective is one that Christians must never forget. Jesus is not shaken. Jesus is not wimpy. Jesus is not weak. He's not sitting in heaven worried right now because earth is so messed up. Not at all. He came and gave his life, humbled himself to the point of death, took our place, and was sacrificed like a lamb. One of the things Bible readers understand is the sacrificial lamb, don't we? There's enough in the Old Testament that teaches us about that. We understand the law. We understand if you sin and something had to take your place and get the, get the punishment and all of that. And the Bible climaxes by saying, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world by teaching us that Jesus being sacrificed is the very thing that God did for us. Chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation give us this big picture perspective. But there is great detail in the big picture. The maker God that made us sent his son Jesus to save us. 
Chapters 4 and 5 are reminding us this. But it also gets even more detail. Later in chapter 5, you will have mentioned that it was his blood that ransoms us. Later in chapter 5, you'll have mentioned that his blood ransomed people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. One of the best perspectives Christians have learned and have is that Jesus is saving people from everywhere. In heaven, there will be representation from every country, every nation, every color, every language, every corner of the earth will be represented in heaven by the work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross. These perspectives, or better yet, this perspective comes from the book of Revelation. It's found in all other places. I spoke for just about a minute this morning about that. Wasn't that a nice point this morning where Herod, who was no believer at all, right, quickly asked his people, oh yeah, where's the Savior going to be born? And just like that, they spit out a quote from Micah, and they know he's coming from Bethlehem, and all parties involved there didn't want to worship him. They knew about a Savior, They knew about God promising a Savior. They knew where it came from. They knew what the promise was. They quoted all that. And yet they didn't worship the king. But the Magi, three guys that were Gentiles from far east, came to worship him. It was the Gentiles that worshiped him first in that little setting. Revelation 4 and 5 gives us this big picture. That the work that Christ is doing on the cross was for everybody. You need to remember that. Guys, we're a long way from the Middle East, aren't we? You and I are Gentiles. Unless unless I just don't know you that well and you've got some Jewish roots somewhere. Y'all, it took a long time. Think about that. It took a long time for the Bible to get to Louisville, Kentucky. All things considered. Think about that. It took a long time for the Bible to get here. This church was the second church in in this area. The first church was the Methodist church. I know I've brought that up many times. It was about the middle of the 1800s that the first ever church came to this Fairdale area. It wasn't called Fairdale at the time. It was called Newtown. This little area was called Newtown. But it was about the middle of the 1800s where the first witness arrived here. But I want you to think about this. That's still 1,800 years past what we're reading. That's a long time. And yet the Bible is telling us that what Christ did on the cross was to save people from everywhere. We're a part of that. And the perspective that you get from Revelation 4 and 5 is Jesus on the throne being worshipped, worshipped in the biggest ways. And then there's the detail of the reason why he's being worshipped. Because not only did he make us, He made us, we sinned against him, and he did the work to save us. Folks, let's make sure we have that perspective in our faith. We don't just believe God because he's our maker. He's not simply the the good Lord. He's not simply the, the big man upstairs. He's not simply the one that made us that we're accountable to. He is a personal God, a father in heaven that sacrificed his son for you and I. Revelation 4 and 5 gives us this incredible perspective. God is to be worshipped for who he is and for what he's done. The first thing we talked about is revelation. This book is a revealing from God to us. The second one is perspective, this big picture perspective that revelation gives us. The third one that I want us to see is that this letter is very, very purposeful. 
This letter is very, very purposeful. Turn all the way to chapter 11. At this point, okay, we're into the seven seals, we're into the seven trumpets, we're into the seven bowls, and Revelation gets very long, and there's a lot to go through there. We have talked about all of that. The only thing I want to say about that tonight is I don't want you to think so much about it as all of that being future, but rather all of that being all of history, then what was, what was happening then and what had happened in the past and what was coming in the future. So instead of re- reading all of Revelation as all future, okay, read it as uh, the unfolding of history. That certainly includes future, but it's the, also the unfolding of history. Well, at this point, chapter 11, verse 15, we are at the seventh and last trumpet. I want you to see how purposeful this is. Then this, uh, chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. I remember us emphasizing that a lot when we were studying that. Folks, you may say that that verse alone is the most important verse in the whole book of Revelation. That's up for question, I know. But that verse alone may be. You might say that that verse alone is the most important verse in the whole New Testament. You might say that that verse alone is the most important verse in the whole Bible. If all of creation is bringing us to the point one day where Jesus Christ reigns in his kingdom forever, that verse is saying it happened or it's happening or it's going to happen. That is an incredible verse. In the model prayer, the Lord's prayer that we recite so often, don't we pray regularly, thy kingdom come? Haven't you prayed that before? Oh God, let your will be done, something very similar to that. Revelation 11:15 is the place where we are told through a vision or revelation it happens. In other words, we are to see this letter revelation teaching us how incredibly purposeful God's working is revealed to us in this letter. In other words, let me say it like this. History is happening. The plan of God is unfolding. And there is an absolute reason for it. Everything that God is doing in the world, through your life, through my life, through everything in the world, what you watch on the news, what's going to happen tomorrow, what happened yesterday, everything in the world is bringing us to the high point where Jesus Christ will be king over it all and his kingdom will not end. In the birth narratives of Christmas time that we've been studying, haven't we heard that? And of his kingdom there will be no end right? Christmas teaches us that. Revelation eleven fifteen says that's happening. It's remarkable. It is incredibly purposeful. God will accomplish his purpose. Eleven fifteen is telling us this. His kingdom will come. He will reign forever. Jesus is the king of kings, and his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Revelation teaches us that. So, so much of the teaching of Revelation is getting confused and so confused that they forget that. Isn't it enough for your soul and for your faith to read 1115 and go, that settles me. 
One commentator says, and I've even wrote this down in my Bible, that 11.15 is an explanation of the consummation of history. Revelation 11.15 is an explanation of the consummation of history. The completion, the fulfillment, the bringing it all together. And what does it say? That the kingdom of the world, all that you and I have known and lived in, all the history of it, kings and kingdoms and rising and falling and all of the stuff that's gone on in the world, all of that has become the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and he will reign forever and ever. If you do not have that perspective and purposeful understanding from God's word, may you gain it now. May you bow your heart, surrender yourself to the Lord that reigns. May you live now in his kingdom, recognizing how purposeful God is in what he's doing through his word and what he's doing through the world. The third theme is that it's purposeful. Number one, it's revelation. Number two, it's perspective. Number three, it's purposeful. And then number four, lastly, Revelation is heavy. Revelation is a weighty book in a spiritual sense. If you try to reduce Revelation to just you know, charts and discussions and debates and, 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 and differing views about things, it, it, it will lose the heaviness that it has. I'm going to show you a couple passages right now and you're not going to go, <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, I see it that way, you see it that way, you know. Let's just agree to disagree, you know. You're not even going to think like that. There's some passages in the book of Revelation that have so much weight and seriousness to them that you quickly don't worry about that other stuff. It, it, it comes to you as, man, that's the truth. And that's serious. Look with me at chapters 21 and 22. I'm going to read several verses here. We're now getting to the end of the entire Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, <clears throat> prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. <clears throat> and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I had a funeral this afternoon at 2 o'clock. I didn't know the people. <clears throat> They're from out of town. Some of them lived in Tennessee. Some of them lived in Arizona. <clears throat> the lady actually passed away in Arizona, but her husband's buried here, so they brought her back here to be buried. So I don't know them very well. We didn't have much discussion. One little phone call, and then we did a funeral. And even in that, without me knowing them, without them saying, nobody said anything about being a Christian or having faith or anything like that. That was not brought up. 
But they did say this. She's in a better place. We say that a lot, don't we? And we are comforted by that when it's true, right? Heaven is a better place than earth. And we are comforted by that and we believe that. <clears throat> so many of those types of comforts come. <coughs> don't know whose this is, but here we go. There's a good chance that this is mine from this morning. So much of those comforts like that <clears throat> come from the end of the Word of God. Come from the end of the book of Revelation because God has given you and I promises that there's a place you can go where that Jesus reigns with purpose and <clears throat> perspective as our Savior. And you know those comforts. No death. No crying, no pain. It's the Bible that teaches us that. It's the revelation of God that teaches us that. And it is to be an absolute comfort to us. It is to be an absolute comfort to us at every funeral, at every loss, at every heartache, at every tear. We are to be comforted by God. <coughs> but when God tells us this, he tells, it to, it tells, uh, he tells it to us in the context of some really, really heavy stuff. Keep reading, verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now stay with me. Look at verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's a heavy passage, isn't it? See, we love to be comforted by verses 3 and 4 of Revelation 21. And people will quote that all day long. And I'm glad. But church, we must also believe that the same God that revealed the comfort, comfort is the same God that reveals the warning. We must know all of his message. Revelation gives us a lot of that. That's heavy. In other words, the truths of God are serious. There is an urgency to the truth of God. There is an urgency to the need for salvation through Jesus Christ. The end will come. Judgment will happen. God will reign. And he says it in serious, serious ways. Let me show you a little bit more. Jump over to verse 22. 21, 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. 
Sounds awesome, doesn't it? That's good stuff. Now look at verse 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's heavy, isn't it? If you're a believer here tonight and you've surrendered everything to Jesus, you've repented of your sins, you are repenting of your sins, you know that your sins, the very things you've thought and done, have separated you from God, but in that conviction, you've turned from sin and turned to Jesus, believing that his death on the cross was for you and that in trusting in him, he will forgive you of all your sins. If you're believing that tonight, then the promises of God and eternal life and of heaven are for you. But for anybody who hasn't, who isn't, who won't, there is no comfort. There isn't a better place that they'll go to. The wrath of God remains on them, and they will face the judgment of God. God judged his son for them, and they rejected that. The Bible warns us of this. May we not be those who want to take the comfort verses and ignore the heavy verses. It's real. It's for us. It's a revelation that God gave for us to help us. May we believe it. There's so much of this. We could go into chapter two, I mean, chapter 22, and see a, f- a few more of these things being emphasized. But one final one, let me just show you. You get to the final chapter of the Bible, 22, and you see him saying, I'm coming soon. Look at 22 7. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Look at 22.12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Jump down to verse 20. This is the second to last verse of the entire Bible. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. At the end of the book of Revelation, you've got the heavy passages on judgment and hell. And in the midst of that kind of heaviness, as you sit there going, wow, that's, that's harsh. You remember this morning? This morning I asked the question, how, how did the angels and how did, the, how did God know the ulterior motive of, of Herod? You remember when I asked that this morning? And I just simply reminded us that God knows everything and sees everything. And I said in my sermon, it's a pretty candid statement, but I said in my sermon that, you know, I don't, and and we don't. I don't really know what you're like on the inside. Some of y'all seem nice. I don't really know what you're like outside of here. I don't know what you're like when you're alone. I don't know if your heart's raging against God and you're still trying to earn your salvation by running that uphill battle to be a good person. Don't really know that. But revelation makes it really obvious that God does. He knows you. He knows right now that every one of us are guilty before him, convicted in our sins, and he's provided the solution to repent. Repent. 
In saying those heavy things like that, that you are supposed to hear, that we are supposed to tell, that the word, that the world, even though they don't want to hear it, so desperately needs to hear. The heavy truths of the word of God that are really, really seen in Revelation are also followed up with an urgency of come now soon. We need to hear that. It's heavy, but it's good for us. Now, something really cool about the book of Revelation is it ends like this. Soon, 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 right? We've seen this. Well, I want you to turn back to chapter 1, and we'll close with this. It also began with that heavy urgency. I remember making this point when we were wrapping up our series back in February or March. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. It tells us that in the intro, the very opening, verse 3 of the whole book of Revelation says, for the time is near. And then as he reveals all that to us through the next 22 chapters, it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And it still ends with, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon. It's near. Church, Revelation teaches us that you are not promised another minute, another day. You're not promised anything except for the salvation that is available to you in Christ. But it is possible for you to miss it. Do not wait any longer to surrender everything to Jesus. The book of Revelation gives us four helpful themes One, it is a revelation from God to us. It's a letter to strengthen our faith. Number two, it gives us great perspective. It wants us to see big picture that God is on the throne and everything around the throne is pointing to him to give him glory with great detail that the work of Christ on the cross is the middle and center of it all. Revelation also teaches us that it is purposeful. History is happening and there is a reason for it. God will accomplish his purpose. Jesus will reign as king forever over his kingdom. And Revelation is very heavy. Do not become a student of apocalyptic literature, end times, left behind books, all of these types of things that people get into, the return of Christ, the judgment, all of this stuff, and lose the edge that this is serious. The book of Revelation has good news all in it. This series is called The Good News of the Bible, and the good news of the book of Revelation is this. If you need to be forgiven of your sins, if you need a Savior, Jesus Christ is just that. He is the Savior of the world. He came the first time to deal with our sins, and He has promised to come again to get those who are believing in Him. That is good news for us. May the Word of God be that to you. And may the book of Revelation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Revelation. 
we thank you, God, that it is good news for us. May we never gloss over heavy passages. May we walk by faith with understanding of great purpose in our lives. May we believe your truth and your promises and the big picture that you reign. God, may we understand that your word is a revealing to us of who you are and what your unfolding plan is for the world. And in that way, God, may it in turn be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. God, we thank you for the book of Revelation and we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, we worship him tonight and we proclaim together, worthy is the lamb who was slain for us. In his name we pray, amen.